be sharing a little bit about some of the things we were going through. My wife and I, really me, but you know, your wife goes along with you on that ride. Uh, so if you would, turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 45 through 52 this morning. But let me, let me just set the context. Really important because what we're looking at today connects back to this story, previous story. Remember, Jesus had sent his disciples out, and they were ministering two by two all the way through Israel. We don't know how long they were gone. But they came back, and when they came back, Jesus had a crowd around them, and it says that they didn't even have time to eat. They're so busy, so many needs, they didn't have time to eat. And Jesus looks at them, he says, let's go to the other side and get away for a little while. So they get in a boat, and they're going to the other side, where the crowd sees where they're going and runs around the lake and and is there before they even get off the boat. So they get off the boat, and now they're right back into the crowd. They thought they were going on a little mini vacation, and the crowds were right there. Jesus looked at these people, and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. They, they're just you know, downtrodden, burdened, that they would run all the way over there to hear more. And, and it tells us he taught them all day long. He just was telling them about, no doubt, the Father's love, his, his plan for them, how much he cares for them. And at the end of the day, his disciples, I imagine, were pretty irritated because they said, Lord, send them away. I don't think they were so much having compassion on the people as much as they just get, get them away. And the Lord, they need to go eat. It's a deserted place. And the Lord looks at them and says, you feed them. Now, John's gospel tells us that he knew what he was going to do. He was testing them. And they did like every, I think, church or ministry would do. They sat down, looked at the budget, and they came up with a a budget saying, well, 300 denarii, that's a year's worth of wages, would feed them just a little bit. But where are we going to get that? And Jesus says, well, what do you have? Remember a couple loaves, some fish? They kind of, you know, strong-armed this little boy in his lunch. Remember that? Not really. I'm sure the little boy gave it to them. But they say, well, what is this with so many? I mean, we, we are, look at our bank account. We have such little to, to do this. And Jesus says, have them sit down. And he took those loaves. He divided them. And he did this radical miracle feeding 5,000 men. That's not counting women and children or even the little boy who gave the lunch. Now, keep that in mind because as we get in this story, at the end of the day, this is what Jesus does in verse 45 through 52. We're going to read this and we're going to pray together. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, And would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and he said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them. The wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves 
because their heart was hardened. Let's pray together. Father, it's so great to see what you're doing in this church. To see the people are gathering to hear your word, to worship you. And Father, we pray that we would hear your voice today. We desperately need to hear from you. We know you're the teacher. You know everyone in this room, Lord, so intimately. You know every strain of their life. So we pray for understanding, we pray for clarity, pray for encouragement, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one thing that is absolutely true is we all go through storms. Have you guys ever been through a storm? (laughs) During those times, you know, sometimes we have small storms, sometimes we have big storms. Those big storms, you start to question, why am I going through this? The why questions come up. Why in the world am I going through this? You you look at your life and you think, do I have any sin in my life? Is God punishing me? Is that why I'm going through this? Did I do something wrong? Did I veer off the path? You know, is God aware of this? I've been praying for a long time in this thing, and it seems like there's brass over heaven right now. This story sort of answers a lot of those questions. I want to give you four observations if you're a note taker that really will help you now, maybe later. I would call this message the perfecting storm. The perfecting storm. And the first thing I'd like to point out is this. You can be in the will of God and experience storms. Notice what it tells us in verse 45, that Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go to the other side. This tells us they were exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. Did he know that the storm was coming? I believe so. Did he know the force of the storm that was coming? I believe so. You see, there are actually two kinds of trials that Christian experience, two kinds of storms, I would say, at least the way I see it. Just maybe, just two storms, maybe you can break it down into other little ones, but two basic storms that come our way. The first one is the stormy trials that correct us. Then there's the stormy trials that perfect us. Correcting storms, they discipline us. Perfecting storms, they grow us. They mature us. And I would, I would define a perfecting storm as one that comes when you're in the will of God. You're not doing anything wrong. You're actually doing everything right. You, you, you got in the boat. You're, you're heading the way you're supposed to be heading. But that storm comes. A, a correcting storm is just that. It corrects you. Who would you think is exhibit A of a correcting storm in our Bible? Jonah. That guy had a call by God to go preach to people he hated. He hated them. He wanted to see them judge, the Assyrians. And so when God says, I want you to go preach to them and warn them so that they don't have to judge them, Jonah said, no way. I'm going the other way. And he was off to what we know as Spain. And in the middle, when he took off on that boat, there was a storm that came. And you guys know the story. He's thrown in the water, swallowed up by the fish, The Lord spit him back up on the land and says, now go do what I told you to do. That's a correcting storm. The disciples here are in a perfecting storm. You see, the Lord constantly needs to stretch our faith. He needs to perfect us. Peter describes how trials do this for us in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, You've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, 
having been, uh, ha- being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's not saying you rejoice at the trial itself. He's saying you rejoice at the outcome. You got to be a little crazy if you're rejoicing at the trial. Oh, I love this pain. That's sadistic, right? I actually, I actually asked somebody in our, you know, it's a rhetorical question. I said, how many of you love to go through trials? And a guy in the back raised his hand. I didn't think he really understood what I was saying. But what Peter is telling us, what we see in this story is this, is that our trials, these perfecting trials, they help our faith come to the surface. You know, when everything's good, when everything's smooth, you don't need faith, do you? You got money in the bank. You, you, don't, you don't really need to pray about your bills. It's just, when everything is smooth, our faith kind of sits idle. It sits deep. And it's kind of neglected in a way. But when trials come, perfecting storms come, as Peter tells us, it brings that faith to the surface. Now you have to use it. Now you have to depend on someone outside of yourself and that somebody is God. Yet you have to look to him. You have to pray because you're not going to get over that obstacle. You're not going to get through the storm unless he comes through for you. So it brings your faith to the surface where you have to use it. You have to rely upon it in order to persevere. I would say something just for clarity, that not all perfecting storms, the origin of that storm is not always from God, but he'll use what, what comes our way to perfect us. I mean, you and I, we live in a, a, a fallen world. I mean, just living in this world, you're going to have trials. I have a trial every day on the freeway. I mean, I mean, those are small trials, but every day on a freeway, go 12 miles, it takes me an hour from where I live to church. But many trials come because of that. And Jesus told us this in John 16, 33. It's actually a promise. He told us that in the world, you will have tribulation. It's not what you see on TV, right? That you're going to have a good day every day if you just think that way. Jesus didn't promise us a smooth path. A path. He actually promised us that we're going to have tribulation. And I like that he puts it up front for us. So when it happens, I said, well, Jesus told us this would happen. So that we know that it's not strange, as Peter said. It's not foreign. No, this is what happens to all believers. And by the way, trials happen to believers and unbelievers alike. Have you noticed that? Do you guys know unbelievers that are going through hardships? Do you guys know unbelievers and believers that are going through money issues, family issues, death issues, illnesses? Everybody in this world experiences the fallen world and the trials that come from this fallen world. But here's the difference. For a Christian, these trials are not just painful and wasted. They have a purpose. For, for those that don't know the Lord, they are just a headache. They, they're useless to them. But for you, there's a purpose. God will use it to perfect you, to grow you, to make you strong in Him. You guys know Romans 8.28, right? Let me read it to you. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Don't you just love how the scripture assumes you know it? When, when you read that, like, and we know. Oh, we do? We know this? Yeah, we know it. It's something you can bank on. It's something you can count on. So he's like, he's speaking, projecting onto us what we should absolutely hold on to in our life. 
We know this. Do you guys know this? Do I know this? And we know that all things work together for the good. When it's talking about working together, the word is where we get our English word synergy. So it's taking the bad, the good, God synergizes it and propels us for the good somehow. Now, the good things we understand, but how in the world are you going to take this trial, this thing in my life that's causing me pain, my family pain, how is that going to turn out? I, I don't understand that. He doesn't tell us to understand it. He says just to know that it will happen. Because we don't understand how God can do that. I don't understand how God can do that. But it tells us he will. You see, trials sometimes just feel like a headache, an unnecessary thing in our life. <laughs> and, and as soon as I get in a trial, I'm ready to get out. Are you guys? Because trials are hot. So when a trial comes, I'm like, okay, Lord, I think I learned my lesson. Save me. Get me out of this thing. I'm praying for deliverance right away. But the Bible teaches that the the trials actually serve you as a Christian. They'll help you to grow, teach you to rely upon the Lord through faith, and to stretch your faith. You know, think of a trial. Remember when you were a kid and you had rubber band guns? Do you guys have those? It's probably illegal now, right, to have a rubber band gun. We had rubber band guns, and we shot each other. But you'd buy these new rubber bands, and what happens if you stretch it from the end to the paper clip right away? Pops, right? So what you do is you kind of massage it a little bit, and then, you, then you're able to do that. Well, we have a capacity maybe this big when we go into a trial. Trials are stretching us. And the Lord won't just go like that. And he won't break us. But as you, he massages it and he stretches us, and we're like, Lord, I'm done. I'm going to pop. I'm going to break. He says, no, a little more. Ow. What happens when you let go of the rubber band? The capacity is bigger. The rubber band's bigger, isn't it? Well, that's what happens inside of us. None of us like it, but we should rejoice in the outcome of those trials. You know, perfecting storms, they mature us, but they also prepare us for future trials as well. By sending his disciples into the storm here, he's actually preparing his disciples for the stormy trials that would come when he's back in heaven, where they would learn to just keep going, keep rowing, if you would. Jesus will eventually come. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't veer off. Don't turn back. You keep rowing. Keep going with the Lord. The disciples, they were in the perfect will of God. That's the first thing we should know. Remember this, gang. You can be in the will of God and no sin in your life You're doing what God wants you to do, and you find yourself in a trial. The second thing that we see here is Jesus is aware of your storm. Notice verse 46 where he says, He departed to a mountain to pray, and I believe it's verse 48. He says, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. So what this tells us is perched high upon that mountain. And if you go to the Sea of Galilee, If you've been to Israel with Manny, you'll see those mountains around the Sea of Galilee. If you're sitting there, you have a bird's eye view of the lake. And so here, it's nighttime now, no doubt lighted up by the, the moon. He sees his disciples in the middle of the lake, and it tells us a few things that should take, we should take note of. First of all, he saw them straining at rowing. He sees you straining. There he is perched high, and he sees them. He knows they're straining at what he told them to do. They're straining at it. He was also aware of what was causing the strain, says the wind. And he's aware of what's causing the strain in your life. Maybe you've never told anybody about it, but he knows it. He knows what's causing the strain. 
He was aware of their situation. He was watching them. I doubt the disciples knew he was watching them. Because as far as they were concerned, he went to a mountain. They, they, were, just, they were in the middle of the lake. But don't doubt today that Jesus is watching over you. That's sometimes what you're tempted to do, especially if that trial is going on and on and on. And you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing. And you're not getting anywhere. It's just constant pushback from whatever's coming at your way. Jesus was aware of their situation. He was watching them. And it tells us he was praying. And let me suggest something. I, I would suggest he was praying for them. As he's watching them straining, he knows the cause of the strain. You know, just, Father, help them. Give them, give them this, the, the faith they need that they would not fail. They wouldn't turn back. They wouldn't turn to the right or to the left. Because this is exactly what he's doing for us today. Perched high upon heaven, not a mountain. But he's looking at us and he's praying for us according to Romans 8.34. He says he's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Now, don't you love when people pray for you? I love it. I mean, when people say, Pastor, I'm praying for him. Thank you. I need all the prayer I can get. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants. But if I, I know you're praying for me. That, that's great. But you know, as much as I love that, it doesn't compare to know that Jesus is praying for me. And the reason why is this. When, when people ask me to pray, often I will pray, but maybe I'm not getting to the heart of the matter. I'm just lifting them up the best I know how. But when Jesus prays for you, you know he's hitting the mark, isn't he? He knows exactly what to pray to his father who is right next to him. Talk to his father, to, uh, to him uh, about you. So, and you know his prayer is going to be answered, right? So he's praying whatever you're going through. He's talking to his father. It's on the mark and it's going to be answered. See, this is where what he's doing now. Disciples had been through something similar before. Do you guys remember before? Kind of similar situation. But where was Jesus that time? He was in the boat, wasn't he? He was asleep, but he was in the boat. Jesus said the same thing. Let's go to the other side. And as they start off, it was a violent storm that erupted. Waves are splashing over. There was fishermen in that boat. They knew the sea. They were mariners. They understood it. And yet they were freaking out. And finally, Jesus was asleep. He had complete peace maybe, right? And they come and they wake him up and they kind of accuse him. They say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? But all they had to think about is, well, if we're perishing, so is he. But he wakes up, maybe rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. Oh, you have little faith. He rebukes the wind and the waves and all calm down. And they make it to the other side. This time, he's not in the boat. He's on the mountain. I kind of see a progression here, don't you? He was close to them, but asleep. This time, he's up on the mountain, and he sends them off alone. They'd been through this before. You see, Jesus wouldn't physically be with them forever. One day, he's going to go back to heaven. And one day, he's going to be perched from heaven as he's perched upon that, that mountain for them right here. They were experiencing what you and I experience every day. I've, we've never seen Jesus. We've never had him physically with us. We, we, we experience this all day long. We, we don't see him, but he's watching over us. We don't have him physically, but we know that faith, through faith, we believe he's near. We have his promises. I will never leave you. You guys know this one? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
Lo, I am with you till when? Into the ages. See, during a storm, we may feel like Jesus isn't aware or that he's near. We're being tossed by the waves. The, the winds are contrary. We're rowing and we're rowing and we're getting nowhere. He knows the force, guys. He knows what is coming against you. But he, and he's not going to take his eye off you. He will come through for you. You know, Matthew Henry says this about this passage. He says, quote, The Savior is sometimes a God that hides himself, but is never absent. Sometimes in the dark, but never at a distance. I, I watch at our church. We have a nursery at the end of our hall. You know, mom and dad's with their brand new baby. The, the first one. The second one, you just, you, you're a little more loose. But the first baby. And they bring them to the nursery. They're looking at the floors. I think clean. Were those people, are they background? You know how they are. Are they background checked? All that kind of stuff. But when they pass that baby, the baby maybe is a little older by this time. And they see mom and dad fading out. They're in the arms of somebody weird. And they start to freak out, don't they? I watch mom and dad. They're at, at the door. What are they doing? They're peeking in. The baby doesn't know mom and dad is right there. Baby think mom and dad just forsook me. They're gone. They just threw me in the arms of this, this person I don't know in a weird room that I don't know. But every time mom and dad goes back, the baby starts to go, mom and dad are faithful. They're going to be back. They never really left. It's the same thing with God. Because God wants us to live by faith, not by sight. And so he will do that. He'll throw us in the nursery of trials, if you would. And he's peeking around the corner saying, hang on, keep rowing. I'll come through for you. And that's the next thing I'd like to point out is that Jesus will come through in his time. He will come through for you in his time. I believe it's 48 where he says, now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. If you look at the first couple of verses, when did they start? Right when it got dark. So you, you kind of do the math. What this tells us is that they were rowing for 8 to 12 hours. You've got to hand it to these guys. They, they were really trying to obey the, the, the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord. They just didn't have the strength. But they, they didn't turn back. They were going the way the Lord said to go. 8 to 12 hours. You know, what I've experienced is in a storm, hours feel like days. Days feel like weeks. Weeks feel like months, and months feel like years. My, I went through a trial. I, I would say it was one of the worst I've ever been through. Right after Palm Sunday, everything's going good. Church, family, kids are healthy, walking with the Lord. Wife and I are great, you know. Everything's great. We had Palm Sunday. It was a real celebratory kind of thing. You know, just seeing the Lord work in people's lives. I woke up that Monday right after Palm Sunday, right before Easter, and I wasn't me. I don't know how to explain it. I had thoughts from 30 years ago that felt like they were real today. And my mind, my brain turned against me. And it was just like this wheel of torturous thoughts that felt real right now, but I couldn't get out of it. And... I was having panic attacks. My arms grew numb. You know, just, I, I couldn't sleep. This went on for three months. 
I'd go to bed at 12 o'clock at night. I'd wake up at, or, at 2. Go to bed at two, uh, 10 o'clock at night, wake up at 12. I wasn't sleeping. I, I couldn't eat. It just felt like my body was reverberating. I thought, something physically wrong with me. But let's go to the doctor. So we go to the doctor. They do every test imaginable, brain scans, you know, blood tests, whatever they could do. And I'm waiting in anticipation because I want them to find something because something's wrong with me. And if we find something, at least I know it's that. And they, we get the, all the, the results back and everything checked out perfectly. And I actually just sat there and wept. I was mad. And then I just started weeping because something's wrong with me. And it's not physical. It's my brain has turned against me. There were times, you know, just waking up and I think, okay, is, am I healed? Is it gone? It wasn't gone. And it was just this thing. I know the scripture. Take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Be anxious for nothing. And I'm praying that. And I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix it. So we go from anxiety to full-on depression, where it's almost psychosis, where I'm just numb. Everything feels dead. Look at my wife. Look at my children. Look at the ministry. And it was just like, no, everything felt dead, no meaning. It was in the midst of that where I decided that I would fast. I'm not a big faster. In, the, in one reason is that I can't lose any more weight. <laughs> I eat and I eat. But I thought, I'm going to fast. I'm just going to humble myself. I'm going to seek the Lord because there's got to be an answer. There's got to be a reason for this. So I'm fasting and you know, nothing forthcoming. And my wife, she goes down to Huntington Beach and she is asked to teach at Refuge down in Huntington Beach for the women's ministry. And in her teaching, she mentioned that the health of her husband, well, my mom and my sister just happened to be there. They live in Huntington Beach. My sister immediately texts me, Daniel, what's going on and why didn't you tell me? I said, well, because I don't even know what it is. She goes, it's so funny, a week ago, she says, I was vacuuming in my house, and the Lord gave me a scripture and said, give this to Daniel. And I said, well, what is it? And she read it to me. It's from Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Let me just read it to you. It says, do not fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand, to humble yourself before your God, your, works were, uh, y- your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. She didn't know I was fasting, and that's, that's what Daniel was doing right there. He was fasting. He was waiting on the Lord. He needed understanding. And she said, when then the Lord told me that he's using this thing to do a deeper work in you. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me a week ago? <laughs> why, why, why make me wait a week? But I'll tell you what. I was still going through the trial. I was still crazy. And of course, your wife goes through those things. She, she was riding with me in a sense, praying for me, but worried to death because Daniel wasn't Daniel anymore. Wasn't thinking the same way. My posture, everything was different. She started getting an ulcer. Couldn't eat as well. And it was just this family dynamic. The church started to notice after a while. Well, not the church. The women of the church started to notice because they're intuitive. So I would teach and they would come up to me and say, Pastor Dan, what's going on with you? You're different. And I'd say, I am. Pray for me. I didn't want to tell them what's going through my mind. 
in the middle of that, the Lord did come. He gave me a word. Notice when it was time, he, he came walking on the water. I find great encouragement for this, in this. It shows us that Jesus, the Son of God, has power over nature and the laws of nature. It shows us that the very thing that threatens us was just a road to him. It shows us that all things are under his feet. The very things that scare me are a road that brings me closer to Jesus. It says he would have passed them by. Kind of unique little phrase. It could mean that Jesus was just, you guys keep going, I'm going to go to the other side. But when they got scared and freaked out, he jumped in the boat. But I do believe it means this, that the winds that were preventing the disciples from going forward were no issue for Jesus. That they rode all night, but he would have passed them by because he was making greater progress against the storm that hindered them. You see, the disciples, they saw him. They were troubled, it tells us. They were fearful. They cried out. Why? Because things like this don't happen all the time. It's a fisherman. You know, we used to call this category error. If you punch something in a computer, it has no program to do it. It's like category error. This is what happens to their mind. They have no reference to somebody walking on water. So what do they do? It's got to be something weird like a ghost. And they cry out. And it scared them. But the Lord then spoke to him. And how things change when you hear the voice of the Lord in the midst of a storm. That's what I heard. I was still in it. I was still crazy if he would. That's the way I felt. But I knew the Lord was aware and he was speaking to me. He was telling me he's going to walk me through this thing. You know, we're likened to sheep in the Bible, aren't we? That's not a compliment, by the way. Sheep are pretty dumb. They are. They are dumb animals. There's a book that's called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I recommend it. It will break down Psalm 23 like you've never read it or understood it before. I bring that up because there's one passage where it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he explains what that means. Sheep are, are skittish. They have no way to defend themselves. They're just walking victims. They really are. And in order for them to lie down, they have to have peace. They have to know that they're protected and the way they know they're protected is when they have eyesight of the shepherd. And so when David, the shepherd, says he makes me to lie down in green, green pastures, he's saying that he gives me the peace to know he's protecting me. And in, in the midst of this storm, as he's speaking to them, peace comes over them, and actually faith is inspired through at least one of them. Remember, as you compare the Gospels, there was someone that stepped out of the boat. His name was Peter. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out. And the Lord says, come out. Well, he starts walking on the water. And then he starts looking at the ferocious wind and feeling it and freaking out. And he starts to sink like the Peter, the rock he is, right? Starts to go down very quickly. And, and he prays one of the most sincere prayers in the Bible. Save me, Lord. You know, it's not the, qual the quantity of words, the quality of words. When you're in desperate need, you just get to the point with the Lord, don't you? You're not using King James and, you know, all these eloquent words. Just save me, God. But Jesus then says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? How do you think the Lord looked at him when he was saying that? Was he looking at him like, you little faith? Or was he smiling? Remember when your kids were learning how to walk? 
I remember when my little redhead girl was learning how to walk. You know, she'd fall over. I didn't look at her and go, you know what? I've been walking in front of you for, what, a year? And, you, and, and now I set you up and you don't know how to do this? Get out of here. <laughs> now you pick them up. Come on, baby girl, let's go. Or riding a bike, you know, those type of things. Well, here they're learning how to step out. At least Peter was. He did it for a little bit. We don't know how many steps he took, but he was sinking like a rock and he cried out. And, and in my imagination, because I hang out with pastors, and, and pastors are jokesters. We cut each other up bad. We don't take our, at least Calvary guys, we don't take ourselves too seriously. But can, these are just men too. I imagine when Peter was lifted up into the boat by Jesus, it was like, you know, these guys just kind of going, Peter, man, you sunk like a rock, dude, you know? And that little prayer, save me, Lord. I mean, you can imagine these guys just mocking Peter. But, you know, Peter could say to them, you know, I know only two people in the history of the world that walked on water. Our Lord and our Savior is one of them. So am I. Because he stepped out. Yeah, he sunk, but he stepped out, and he walked on the water. And so as soon as they got in the boat, the wind ceased. The other Gospels tell us they arrived immediately at the land. How quickly can trials be over when Jesus steps in? You know, we're in the midst of this. We're rowing, we're rowing, we're rowing, and we think it's, it's endless. And then the Lord steps in, it's done. Now, here's what I want to end with the last observation, and this really ties it all together. If you look at verse 51, it says, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Why were they greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled? Notice the connection of verse 52. Four, there's the connection. Four, they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. This is the last observation. They had forgotten that they serve a miraculous Lord. Their heart was hardened, not, not towards the Lord, but towards his work in their life. They didn't understand the lesson of the loaves. The feeding of the 5,000 was a spiritual lesson that they were supposed to understand and take into their new trials and tribulations. He doesn't do things in isolation. You, the Lord has stepped into your life. He's done things for you, hasn't he? He's been faithful to you in the past, hasn't he? We're not to leave those things in isolation. We're to carry those things into our new experiences with the Lord. They left the miracle in isolation. Now they're faced with the new and they don't know what to do. They've forgotten. They left it behind. They didn't connect what Jesus did for them in the past with their present situation. How soon did they forget? Just hours earlier, he was able to do a miracle and feed 5,000 people. You see, the situation wasn't the same, but the principle was the same. The principle is this. There was a great need beyond our capacity. A miracle needed to be done. Jesus did a miracle to take care of it. Well, now they're in another situation, and, and, and here comes the Lord, and they weren't expecting it. They're freaking out. They weren't expecting the miraculous because they forgot that they served a miraculous Lord. See, the lesson of the loaves understand that nothing is impossible for Jesus to carry those things that he's done in our life into our future. Let me give you my second closing. I'm being a bad pastor. 
when we first started our church, we started like you guys. Manny and I started about the same time, planning our church. And we had a home fellowship. Somebody offered us a building, rent-free for a year. We are like, that's, that's great. The, the foyer, it, we walked upstairs. The foyer was about as big as this, maybe this square section here. And we walked up, and Amy and I thought that that was the church. And so we're looking at the foyer going, well, I guess we could put some chairs here and a pulpit here. And the, late, the girl says, no, dummies. And she opens up these double doors, and it was this long hallway with offices along the way where we can do children's ministry. And then with a big sanctuary in the back. For a moment, we're rejoicing. Wow, you gave us a free building. And then it hit me. Well, where are we going to get chairs? Where's the sound system? We got like 50 bucks in the bank. And Amy says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call one of the big churches and just ask. Well, you go for it, huh? <laughs> she calls Chino Hills, Jack Hibbs Church. And she says, hey, do you guys have any extra chairs lying around? They said, yeah, actually, we have 200 and by the way, we have desks and we have all this stuff. Take as much as you want in storage. So we got as many guys as we could with trucks and we had 200 chairs that filled up exactly what our sanctuary needed. Well, we start our services and then I realized, you know, we're using AC, lights, things like that. I'm like, wait, we're going to have to pay an electric bill here. How are we going to pay? This might be 150 bucks a month. Where are we, we going to get that? My great faith, I'm not bringing in to what God's doing to now. So I'm just kind of stressing over it, praying for it. Lord, please provide. Well, Billy Graham's association, if this is the four you walk up the stairs, our section was here. Billy Graham, it's his production company. I believe they still do movies, but it was right next door. They just moved in. And I got to know the guy, right, you know, on fire Christian, all of them. But he says, hey, we're having a little issue. We don't have space on our side. For casting. You know, we know you guys aren't here on Mondays. So can we use that first office right there for casting? We'll, then we'll pay all the utilities. Praise you, Lord. <laughs> you see, I would have enjoyed the ride a lot more if I would have remembered the loaves, if you would. Expect the miraculous. You know, I, I'm, just to clarify, the Lord did heal my mind. Heal my heart. He showed us a lot of things. I'm glad to be on this side of it. I learned a lot of lessons from that. A lot of lessons. One is I used to be very dismissive for people talking about anxiety and depression. Not outwardly, but inwardly. Because I'm not an emotional person. I'm just not. I'm not, I'm not like Pastor Manny. <laughs> I'm, I'm not emotional. But this broke me, man, and I couldn't control it. So when people would come to me and they would talk about this, I would sit there and go, yeah, in my mind, kind of like, yeah, buck up, dude. Take your thoughts captive. You know, just man up a little bit. Because I'll just tell you my experience. I saw people manipulating that my whole life. I saw people taking advantage of that the whole life and living off SSI, Social Security income, all that stuff because of it. And I knew it was fake. My father. So I just had this thing about it. It's not real. And, and the Lord says, take your thoughts captive. We can do that. I tell you, I, I have a little more compassion, a lot more compassion. When I look at people that are going through those things, that I can't turn it off. 
I was a crying mess. I'd sit at my computer just crying. It hurt. These things 30 years ago that aren't real today felt real today. So he gave me more compassion. Just look at these people, man. They're hurting. They're like sheep without a shepherd. I take you through that for that experience. My wife and I learned a lot about each other, putting parameters around things so that we take care of each other, you know, getting away and not letting things intrude on that. We needed that. You know, you come out of those things, you're a little fractured, a little broken, but I kind of like it. I kind of like being a little softer hearted towards the things of the Lord, more dependent on the things of the Lord. I would say this, the lesson of the loaves is say, Lord, you have ways I've never thought of. You can answer in ways that are beyond my limitations or understanding. The lesson of the loaves is say, Lord, you're in all circumstances. You'll come when you come. You're watching over me. You can do a miracle when need be. All these lessons were there for their future too, as well. Every, you know, Jesus would be perched in heaven. And he would say, go preach the gospel. Row, if you would. You, you go to the other side. Well, they hit the, the, the winds of persecution right off the bat, didn't they? They learned the lesson. They didn't turn back. They didn't give up. What did they do? They went to their own company after they were beat up. And they said, Lord, give us boldness. And the Lord shook the room again. And they went preaching. Peter stepped out of the boat. He was the first to preach the evangelistic message of the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. He was the first to go into a Gentile's house, which was anathema to these guys, break the cultural norms, the prejudices, and go and preach to these guys, and they get saved. John and, and Peter were the first to, to heal somebody in the book of Acts. They stepped out. God did a beautiful work in them, and he's doing a beautiful work in you. A beautiful work right now. He sees the storm. He sees the strain. He knows what's causing it. And he's got his eye on you guys. He has his eye on me. There's no limitations. Let me just end this again. (laughs) He will walk on water if he has to. Expect the miraculous from the Lord. But until then, understand he's watching you. He knows what's going on. He's not forsaken you. He's not left you alone. When he says go to the other side, that's a command, but that's also an enablement. That's just as well as God would say in Genesis, let there be light and there was light. When he says go to the other side, you're going to go to the other side. Don't get out of the boat. You just stay. If you're right in the middle of the lake, he will come when it's time. Expect it.